Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM New Haven's home for community radio. This is Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. It's Thursday, which means it's Headlines and Baselines Day. We look at the local headlines, mostly from the New Haven Independent, my go-to source for news in New Haven, and so many other people's too, with a little commentary, a little snark, sometimes not snark, God forbid, on the headlines, and then some music inspired by the stories that make our community tick. The big headline this week, as of noon on Thursday, there might be other big headlines coming, who knows? The headline is Yale buys lab office building for $139.6 million. Whoa. That building in question is 300 George Street. It has an interesting history. I will talk about it for a moment. Obviously, the big issue here is Yale buying up more property, which is a mixed bag because Yale is our economy now. Yale and Yale Medical School, and that's a biotech research and development site for both the medical school and for tech stuff, biotech. That is what our economy has become. It used to be a building for SNET, S-N-E-T, the uh, Southern New England Telephone Company, right? So that used to be a big employer, along with factories in town. We know how that changed over the years, and that building's a symbol of it. It got repackaged in the uh, go-go 80s, 90s era. It was in the 90s when a huckster developer came to town, started paying off people in government to get good deals and breaks, and he bought that property. He knew that that empty building could turn into something probably tech. He didn't really do anything fixing up the building. That wasn't his game. Instead, he used his political context to get the assessment of that building changed. So he bought it for 500000 bucks, and he got taxes even lower, which hurt the city because then other people who had property in that same neighborhood could use it as a comparable. You know what comparables are? That means if you sell a property or buy a property and then you get taxed on it, you look at what similar buildings cost. That's how people decide how much to pay for properties. And in a world that makes sense, that's how much you get taxed on a property in New Haven. If you own a residence you live in, that is how you get taxed. They say, well, other buildings sold for this. So that's how much you're sold for. That much similar, so that's what we'll tax you for it. If you're in business and you pay off politicians or you're just smarter than they are or intimidate them with lawyers, when you have commercial properties, you actually pay a lot less than a building is worth on taxes, like a lot, lot less. But that's another story. This was an example of that in 2000, um, the developer, Rob Matthews, who's, Rob Matthews has now been sentenced to prison for one of his scams. He flipped it without doing anything to it to $27.5 million to a developer named Carter and Stanley who does build stuff. He's been building up all these and fixing up buildings. He fixed up 25 Science Park. He's been building the 100 and 101 College Street biotech um, towers. And he's a preferred developer at Yale. Yale likes the way he does business because he does it right, right. So he makes the building in good shape and they rent a lot of office space from him and lab space and then eventually Yale says well Yale thinks long term they don't think a year don't think 10 years they think the next century for real and they said well it's better if we own the property right and of course that screws us that sucks for us because of they're considered a non-profit the way Yale the way that storefront church is considered a non-profit or a soup kitchen or a food bank so now they're not going to pay taxes on this building right 139.6 million dollars they paid and they'll be phased out. New Haven struck what's called a deal. It's really a one-sided deal with Yale for how to um, increase its contributions for six years while it gets benefits forever. But as part of that deal, Yale agreed that when it buys a property that pays taxes and then it's going to take it off the tax rolls, it's got to be phased in over a bunch of years. Nothing, especially if your politician is running for re-election a couple of times, you get that benefit for a couple of years before 
leaving behind a city at school. But it's not the politicians' fault that Yale's buying properties, right? This has been going on. And it's not all bad, right? We want an economy. We, we weathered the last two recessions and many recessions better than other cities. Not so much the one in 90, but definitely the one in 06. And, um, and a downturn in between them because we have a nonprofit economy that doesn't move. So it used to be manufacturers hired the most people in New Haven and places like SNET. But those are big corporations that don't really care about our city. They did once upon a time. And they just move people around where they can spend less money if it's the South where they pay less or for whatever other reasons. And while Yale and Yale New Haven Hospital, which now account for more jobs than the next eight or more employers combined in our city, they might start new ventures in other communities, but they kind of have to be here. So there are benefits to that. There are jobs. There are buildings that aren't empty. There's spin-off spending. But it's, we're still cheated because they're not paying taxes on that property. We get reimbursements from the state through the pilot program, and that's a good thing. That's why a nonprofit economy isn't necessarily unprofitable for a city that otherwise wouldn't have as many jobs and as much development if we're getting half the taxes on it that we would get and people employed and otherwise it wouldn't do anything like where Gateway went into two downtown blocks or for 10 years they sat vacant more than 10 years, 20 years in one of the properties, Malley's property. So, you know, we do get, besides having a public service in that point, which is a community college, which is important for people and people downtown, we actually do get pilot reimbursement where we got nothing before. But the bottom line is Yale's got over $40 billion in its endowment. So do so many of these institutes of higher learning. They got these tax breaks centuries ago when they were little religious-oriented schools or just small schools with a public purpose. They're now big business. Sure, they do good things. A lot of businesses do good things, right? I like music. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pay taxes if you're Taylor Swift or um, Sony Records. But these big... College, universities like Yale are in an arms race to raise money from private equity people like Stephen Schwartzman who built the new center here and they are really oriented wasn't isn't always a an educational purpose and B they don't need the help they have more money in there I mean they could have a rounding error on their annual budget or taxes that could pay for our entire school system in New Haven there is a Republican senator Charles Grassley who year after year brings us up he has hearings and he says there should be a level at which these huge corporations that act like corporations, by the way, act in their own self-interest, not in the public self-interest, in terms of self-perpetuation through the money they raise and they make decisions based on that. They should be taxed like everybody else. So no matter what deal New Haven strikes, until we can change either our reliance on the property tax in, in Connecticut or this broken system where the ultra ultra wealthy basically have their own institution that takes from our city and doesn't give back deals like the one on that property will always be what crooked still sings about as the last fair fair deal on debt <laughs>
Love that fade out from Crooked Still. Last fair deal gone down, like the Yale deal. Robert Johnson wrote that, the great blues singer in the early 20th century. And then so many groups did it. And that's Crooked Still. They were the bluegrass band that was in the aughts. And actually, yeah, in the aughts, they were kind of hit it. Ifo Donovan's the main person there on vocal. And they, Greg released on banjo, who was here at Yale at one point. Rashad Eccleston on cello. And I loved about their renditions, their kind of reasons. I love the way they used the the cello more than a fiddle in bluegrass, which I thought had a more soulful, a little bit of a deeper feel to it and added a little mournful sense to that last fear deal going down here on headlines and baselines at WNHH FM Stateline New Haven. We're looking at the local headlines, latest in New Haven Independence, some other places, and the snark or not snark and the music inspired by it. Here's a headline. Doreen Schernecki wrote in The Independent this week, Advocates the City. Be bold again on immigrant rights. There was a hearing about at City Hall by the Alders about immigrant rights. Big issue like New Haven been dealing with immigration in interesting ways for hundred more than hundred years. So 100, but in the most recent waves from Latin America, especially and now from Afghanistan, we resettle a lot of people. We embrace immigration, especially in the arts and in the teens. We did some groundbreaking ID card police. 
policy that you don't ask people about their immigration status. And, and New Haven was a light, and we benefited. It was the moral right thing to do, but it also benefited our economy because we welcomed people with new energy, new ideas, and had so much to offer to our city. There's a sense, like so many things in New Haven, that the innovation's gone, the energy's gone, the thinking big, taking risks, having vision doesn't happen. So the, there was a suggestion that they uh, they move to a, create an office of uh, immigrant rights. So I'm not sure creating offices do. It really depends who's in the office. You can create a lot of offices with Justin Ellicker as the mayor. doesn't mean they're going to take risks or do much that's interesting. They're good, good people and do the jobs well, which is, you know, that, that's not nothing. But uh, it's also not when we had that era of Stepgan on immigration rights. And there is a sense that maybe immigrants aren't as protected as they always were by our city actively. And we'll see what, we'll see what happens. And if, you know, if there is a change in the presidency, Donald Trump's running saying he's going to get a law passed, he hopes, that requires local police departments and governments to cooperate with federal authority to identify people who are here undocumented so they can send them off to camps, detention camps. That is actually not a Trump critic who wrote that description. That's the, from the Trump campaign. So that would go in the face of one of those innovative changes we made a, few, uh, a decade ago in New Haven, which we wouldn't be able to make today given the risk-averse um, city government we have now. But we do have a government that cares, you know, people care about, people, at least most people in government care about immigrants and welcome them to our city. But in the meantime, um, so much like... Uh, the basement tapes. Sometimes when we get in New Haven as Bob Dylan and the band sang in the basement tapes, it's a little bit of too much of nothing. Too much of nothing to make a man ill at ease. Temper rises where another man's temper might freeze. Now it's that day of confession, and we cannot mark a soul. Oh, when there's too much of nothing, no one has control. Nothing can make a man alive. 
can cause some men to sleep on nails They can cause others to eat fire Everybody's doing something I've heard it in a dream But when there's too much of nothing It just makes a fella Say hello to Valerie. Say hello to Vivian. Give him all my salary on the waters of oblivion. Now, if you can understand what that has to do with too much and nothing, maybe it does. You will have cracked the Dylan code here on Headlines of Baselines, New Haven Independent and WNHHFM's weekly roundup of top headlines, a little commentary and the music inspired thereof on WNHHFM 103.5. Live streams at New Haven been org that was from the basement taste bob dylan in the band too much and nothing <clears throat> here was another headline that independent this week new alders prepare to dial downtown i got to speak earlier this week on the show with two of the new alders who just elected they're going to take on the board alders which is our city council in new haven starting january 1st Teresa morant on uh in critipiac meadows formerly described as bishop woods by exit eight and i-91 and New Hallville's Brittany Mayberry Nyblack, who's going to be taking over in New Hallville, both for Alders who are leaving. They didn't unseat anybody. It was fun talking to them because I love the excitement New Alders bring, the kind of optimistic idealism. You know, being an Alder, you don't get rich unless you're incredibly corrupt in ways that we haven't been able to track down. Most people come in very optimistic about being part of their communities, making them a little better, representing people at the most grassroots level, at the citywide level on issues as localized as a new sidewalk to medium to getting a job for the family to big to how we're going to redevelop our cities, get people the help they need and make it a thriving place that includes everybody. Uh, Teresa and, and Brittany talked about how each of them went door to door and saw how mega landlords of low income housing are not doing a good job in their neighborhoods. They saw know ceilings that were collapsing doorknobs that were off and they want to use their position which i think they can to dial liberal city initiative just as an alder when you're calling to keep after government and you know you don't have to be a jerk or a pest or mean just you keep after it they they respond and you can help your people put pressure uh you know another thing that moran talked about that i liked was in her neighborhood there's a was a controversial plan to take a days in have the city buy it and put homeless people in there instead of dorm style in rooms and get support there. And her attitude was, this is really great. It's really great to help people. And some of my neighbors are worried about it because people get worried about what's coming in their neighborhood. We'll be run right. So she is, is not even older yet. She felt she was able to bring people together with officials to have their answers, quest, questions answered, to have their concerns heard, that there be security, that there be backup, there be support on site, be kept clean. All good, you know, and uh, what was even most impressive is they didn't have an opinion on everything. They have an open mind. This is another great thing coming all that. You know, what struck me was that they gave props to the people they're replacing. Some of the people have inspired them who are on the board. And they're looking forward to solving problems as a team. They're not coming in as, I'm the superstar, everything. You know, some people come in and say, everything's broken and corrupt. And 
in the system. I'm going to come in and make it better. Like uh, Justin Elker actually said that very thing. And then within a day he was saying, oh, this is more complicated than I realized. They're really good people trying to do things within limits and, and things have been tried that didn't work. And it's harder than I realized. And I have more appreciation for what the people for me did. Moran and, and Mayberry and I like coming in saying, I want to be part of a team that cares about the city and wants to work hard to make it safer, more inclusive, where people can thrive and be free from discrimination and live in good conditions and get a good education. They want to do what Marie Knight sings about doing in her tribute to Reverend Gary Davis, where they want to be belong to the band.
One of these days around 12 o'clock, this whole world's going to reel in rock. Marie Knight from her 2007 release of the songs of Gary Davis, Let Us Get Together. I belong to the band, just like the newly elected Alders in Quinnipiac Meadows in New Hallville, who are um, looking to belong to the band, trying to make good things happen in elective office in New Haven. You're listening to Headlines of Baselines, WNHHFM, New Haven. Home for Community Radio, 103.5 FM. Talking about latest headlines in the independent and other media about New Haven and songs inspired. Headline. Story by uh, Tom Breen, a continued story he's following. Pattis slams judge on Silverstein suspension. Nor Pattis is the crusading attorney. Stands up for people who are on their heels and in trouble, whether they were at the January 6th riot, excuse me, protest at the U.S. Capitol, whether they have guns, they're worried the gun's gonna, government's not going to let them wave around in public and shoot whoever they want. Norm is there. Norm is there for Rick Silverstein. He's a controversial, another controversial criminal defense lawyer in New Haven. He has 500 clients. A lot of people hire Rick Silverstein. He gets in judge's faces. He gets in trouble. He got in trouble again. He usually gets a reprimand, but Judge Brian Fisher, state judge, said, I'm suspending your license for a year. Rick says, if that goes through, career is over. Norm Pattis is representing Rick. Filed an appeal. Part of what's interesting is the use of language in this case and in the what the judge wrote about why suspending Silverstein's license and what Pattis thought the judge really overstepped. I'd like to just read those two quotes. Here is the relevant quote from Judge Fisher. He said, Silver, quote, has five reprimands and imposition of conditions and one suspension for a period of six months, which was stayed. This is an abhorrent history for a practicing attorney. Most attorneys with the disciplinary record of the respondent at Silverstein would have crawled on their hands and knees to deliver the requested documents to the grievance committee, fearing their right to practice law could be suspended at any time. The respondent's cavalier attitude toward the grievance process is staggering. So, I mean, it was kind of nervy. He didn't, when he got in trouble for allegedly mishandling uh, 250 bucks from a client, Silverstein did not put in paperwork to deal with it that he was supposed to turn in. So, you know, he's in trouble. Like a lot of people he represents. The question is, does the punishment fit the crime? Patta says no. Here's what Mattis Patterson wrote. He, he was talking about that same quote I read. Quote, certain remarks made by the trial court regarding the respondent, noting his, quote, abhorrent, close quote, disciplinary history, and suggesting that a lawyer in the respondent's position might, quote, crawl on his hands and knees, close quote, to a reviewing panel, suggest an actual animus on behalf of the trial court toward the respondent and are so wholly exaggerated as to undermine the respect for the law and the court. Pattis criticized the judge's, quote, demonstrated bias against attorney Silverstein in the form of intemperate remarks, including a shocking statement about the attorney appearing on hands and knees. Well, we'll see what happens. I have a sense that Judge Fisher might be kind of determined to do what with Silverstein, what Al Green sang about being done to him, which was to take me to the river.
dedicate this song to little Junior Parker, a cousin of mine that's gone on, but we'd like to kind of carry on in his name. Take Me to the River, classic track by Al Green. In his understated way, the little beep of the horn, the way he pulls back all the feeling he has when he's singing, but you see it kind of creep out like he's singing in tongues by the end of so many of those songs. Tightly produced. Interesting, it was reissued by the Talking Heads with a full-out blast, taking that energy in it and coming out front to assault you. I think both are great, uh, great versions, including the original there by Al Green, one of our great soul artists. Here on Datelines and Headlines and Baselines on Dateline New Haven. WNHHFM New Haven's home for community radio. Here was a headline that 
meant a lot for people of a certain age, i.e. old farts like your host here. This is in the Times. Norman Lear, whose comedies changed the face of TV, is dead at 101. Norman Lear was born in New Haven. You see his picture on Edgewood Avenue on one of those posters, the Chapel West District, record of famous people who had their childhoods here, became who they were on the streets of New Haven. He went on to become a legendary TV producer, did all these sitcoms that broke new ground in the 70s and early 80s, developed real life-seeming characters dealing with comedy with such, top, with such serious issues of our day that were being fought about on the streets, in legislatures. Norman Lear got us to see these issues affecting real people in ways they can laugh at themselves while, without, while still having their respect. I'm thinking All in the Family was the classic first one of the bigoted Queens family, but you know they were also humanized in an interesting way. My favorite character was Meathead, who was this, the, <laughs> the son-in-law who was a radical, who was the old conservative Archie Bunker would make fun of. Um, but then, you know, the spinoffs with the Jeffersons was a middle-class black family at a time when there was sort of a new emerging black middle class and all the contradictions that um, entailed Maud, good times, and then sort of public housing family with a lot of respect and dignity and, and always humor, Sanford and Son. I think Norman Lear did a good job, and while stuff might not seem groundbreaking today, you know, obviously more important were the marches, the legislation, the speeches, the research done in the 60s and 70s about civil rights and how to rethink, how to reclaim the promise of the nation. I would also argue that Norman Lear's sitcoms played a role in having us see each other as human and try to figure out our toughest challenges with also being able to laugh, not at people, maybe at ourselves more than anything, which is why I always loved Meathead. But the other thing is that Norman Lear made it to 101 years old, and he was active till the end, insisting about these people. So maybe he had listened to Michelle Schacht singing years back on her album, Arkansas Traveler, about the secret to the long life, knowing when it's time to go. Sweet-talking ladies, man, that's what he'd have ladies all to thank. Oh, the secret to a long life's knowing when it's time to go. Oh, the secret to a long life's knowing when it's time to go. Secret to it all, life's knowing when it's time to go. 
Secret to a long life's known when it's time to go. Norman Lear knew it. He made it to 101. New Haven, born and raised Norman Lear. And that was Michelle Schock, backed by, among others, Levon Helm and Richard Manuel, the band. Her album, Arkansas Trailer, here on Headlines and Baselines and WNHH-FM. Here's another headline from the week. Story I found really interesting in New Haven Independent by Maya McFadden. Monsieur Senderoff's students speak, comma, play, comma, learn. Maya was in the classroom. She does a lot of that as a reporter. She's an education reporter who actually goes to school, <laughs> sees the kids and the teachers, and now they're actually learning rather than just quoting other people talking about it. And she went to Metropolitan Business Academy with a good fr- French teacher named Dylan Senderoff. That's Monsieur Senderoff. And he does immersive dialogue with the kids. So instead of starting with grammar or writing out stuff, he has them talking French beyond what they might already know as a way to pick it up that way. That's kind of creative approach, a little bit like the Opan in Israel. They do that with Hebrew. And um, what he does is he has crossword puzzles. Simon says, Jacques-Odi, Adi, which is that. He has uh, bingo and games like that. You know, maybe thinking about how when we learn languages, it's so important. I wish I knew more languages. And with words, we're always trying to get at meaning. The words are our tools to try to get at so many truths or descriptions that we see in our head or think about or feel in our heart that we imperfectly try to capture in order to communicate. I was reading about a description of prayer, how it's a Hasidic idea that it starts with the words and then you add melody and singing to try to lift that up and go deeper until finally you just have the melody and you dance and that's how you get closest to whether it's God or transcendence or connection. Sometimes words are so important and sometimes, like with Booker and the MGs, you're past the need for words and you're all the way just at the music stage as they were with their classic Green Onion.
Green Onions, Booker T and the MGs, of course, here on Headlines and Baselines. Another headline this week in the New Haven Independent. Anti-recidivism program lands $2 million. This, uh, the Fed sent us more money. Fed sent us a lot of money. It's kind of good to know Feds. For the PRESS program, that's Program for Reintegration, Engagement, Safety, and Support. What that really means is help people coming out of prison and get straight in their lives. We have a good program here, Connected VIP Violence Intervention Project. It's a trend in the country, and I think it's a good trend of having support for people when they came out of prison. We've locked up so many people we continue to in our society. They come out, and it's harder for them to make it than when they came in sometimes, and the problems that led them to a life of crime continue. So if we want them to do better and our whole society do better, obviously we want people who can help them get housing, jobs, counseling, whatever it needs, financial advice. And that's what VIP does. It's people, to some extent, outreach workers who are in the lives themselves and straightened out. And other people just have a good career working with people and caring about people and it's shown results. The, um, this will help them expand it, hire two new life coaches. There's 78 people in the program now. It'll be able to be bigger. And it'll include people in gangs who maybe aren't even in prison yet but might be headed that way. I'd like to know a little more about that. The, um, anyway, to help them recover from what Blind Lemon Jefferson, the classic bluesman, sang about in the penitentiary blues.
got waters and infinite tenders. You can't jump, man. You hard to Blind Lemon Jefferson, penitentiary bound. Hopefully some people who are bound or coming out will get the help they need to live a better life in New Haven with new money coming in to help the CTV IP Vines Intervention Program. Well, tonight we light the first candle Jewish people do for the holiday of, Menor- of Hanukkah. Obviously, as with so much else, that holiday is fraught this year with all that's going on in the horrible death and destruction taking place in the Middle East and the ongoing conflict with Israel and the Palestinians, Israelis using the Palestinians there. And as with so much else, this holiday, as with so much a religion, can be interpreted many different ways. People take lessons from stories and rituals and rules that have come down over the ages to argue for more violence, more hate, or in seeing the light in each other that makes us share a common humanity and that we're stronger together and loving each other and respecting who we are rather than trying to hurt each other. I hope we have the latter translation this year. Meanwhile, here's Mark Cohn's translation of one of the Hanukkah songs, Rock of Ages. Jazz, let our song praise your saving power. Thou midst the raging foes, you were our sheltering tower, our sheltering tower. Let our song praise thy saving power. Thou midst the raging force, you were our sheltering tower, our sheltering tower. Children of the wanderers, 
Disappearing. That's a new translation, newish. On Rock of Ages, which we sing now in Hanukkah by Mark Cohn. That is my prayer this season. That we do see all men free and tyrants disappearing. The songs we feel so strongly in our hearts and our souls. The stories, the dreams, the hurt. That can set us so apart. And are setting people so apart right now in the Middle East. May we have one song we sing together. That we hear each other's song, hear each other's story. And learn to live together in peace. Thanks for joining us today on Headlines and Baselines on WNHHFM. I'm going to close that out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free. From the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.